All right, let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 131, and um, we're going to look at uh, the, the new series, uh, just a mini-series in this time of lockdown and this time we can't meet, um, Psalms for the Anxious, Psalms for the Anxious, and today we're going to look at the first psalm together, Psalm 131. Let's read together the first, the whole psalm, three verses, but what a beautiful psalm it is. Let's read it together. Hear now the words of the living God. A song of the saints of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. So I've decided to pause our series in Ephesians for two reasons. Number one, because I want to see you face to face when we're preaching through the book of Ephesians, especially um, in Porch, where we are. We were just about to go to Ephesians 1 verse 4 to 6 and talk about and, and look at and wrap our minds around the doctrine of election. And I just do not want to preach those sermons uh, online. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons why, just to say, let's pause a little bit on Ephesians. But secondly, um, I think more relevantly, because of our national calamity, the, the international calamity, like the one we are in right now, that might be tempting all of us to be fearful, to be anxious, and to be troubled in a, in a way that will be deadly for our souls. And I know if you are not anxious now, that you will be anxious in the future. So if you are a person that's just very calm in this time, praise the Lord. But then the time is still going to come when you are going to be anxious. And therefore, I, either the series on the Psalms will be a great comfort to you right now, or it will be a great preparation for you in the future. So either a great comfort or at least a great preparation for the future. So this morning we will begin this mini-series, Psalms for the Anxious. And one of my friends asked when he saw the series, he said, um, are there going to be 150 sermons in this series? <laughs> and what he, mean, what he meant is that, isn't all the Psalms, all 150 Psalms, Psalms for the anxious? Well, although that was a little joke, there is some truth in that, right? The Psalms are really meant to help us look into the very heart of God's people. So the Psalms is like unveiling the secret prayer lives, the secret heart of God's people, how they struggled and battled with things like guilt, unbelief, persecution, depression, and yes, even anxiety. And Psalm 131 is one of those psalms that you will find a great soothing psalm if you read it and believe it. Even just reading the psalm is wonderfully powerful. But the thing that surprised me the most of the psalm was verse 2. And I'm just going to ask a question as I read it again. Who in this psalm? Somebody is uh, <laughs> playing outside. Anyway, um, all right. So here's my question. Psalm 2, or verse 2. Who in this verse is calming and quieting David's soul? That's the question. Let's read it. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mind. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Did you see? What is really surprising about the psalm is that it is David who is doing the calming. David is doing the quieting 
of his soul. Now, we will be tempted to say, but, but David, surely you mean it wasn't you who calmed your soul or you who quieted your, your heart. Surely you mean it was God who did this, right? No, because what does the verse say? Verse 2 says, I have done this. I have calmed and quieted my soul. This is what I did. Now, that is really encouraging and convicting at the same time. It is encouraging because it implies that you and I can do the same thing that David did. We can. Means you don't have to be bullied by your anxiety as some kind of just a medical illness that you have no control over. It means that we can overcome anxiety. Praise God for that. But it is also convicting because it implies that we have a responsibility to do this. There's something you must do to calm and quiet your soul. To have that. It means that soul calmness and peace of mind and heart is not automatic. But you might say, but that's David. Surely I, I know David can do that. But you don't know what I'm going through. If you knew the, the stress and the circumstances that I have, then you too will just be stressed and anxious. Well, what I will do for you is just gently remind you about the life of David. <laughs> what kind of a life did he live? Do you remember his trials, his troubles, his anxieties that he had to go through? He had to, for example, stress constantly for fleeing for his life from Saul. Saul wanted to kill him without any reason. Saul, he had to dodge his spear twice. David had to hide in caves, hide in foreign nations because he feared his life. For, for, he feared to lose his life from Saul. When he was older, he had to flee even from his own son, Absalom, who wanted to come and kill him. Talk about family problems, right? Talk about family stress. <laughs> his own son coming to kill him. He had to endure the mocking and the scoffing of Shimei while he was fleeing from Absalom and lying to him and saying that he is suffering because of his because he killed Saul unjustly or his family unjustly. So my point here is simple. Is your troubles less than David's? Then you can do what Psalm 131 does, right? If you if you if you are not fleeing for your life, if you are not being persecuted by your own family, if that's you, then you can do this. You can calm and quiet your soul. Or if your troubles are on level with David's, if you are fearing for your life, fearing for your circumstances, have family stress and family problems, then you can still do what David did because he also experienced all of the above. But you might say, but, but how? How did David do this? How is it possible to calm and to quiet our souls? Well, by studying the psalm, I believe we can find our answer in four ways. Four ways from this psalm, how David calmed and quieted his soul. Number one, by praying, by reminding, by trusting, and by preaching. And we look at them one at a time. Number one, the first way we calm, we quiet our souls, is by praying. Look at the first two words of the psalm in verse one. What does it say? Oh, Lord. What is David doing? He's praying. David turns to God in prayer when he is anxious. He pours out his heart before him. David, being a shepherd himself, has found God to be his shepherd. 
to whom he can bring all his cares, all his burdens, all his sorrows, all his weaknesses, his worries, and even his sins. He has found God to be everything he needs. The rest of the Bible shows this connection between prayer and anxiety, right? Listen to Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 50, verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, says Jesus, and I will give you what? Rest. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So, beloved, a constantly anxious person, a constantly troubled person, according to scripture, is a prayerless person. It is a person who lives like a functional atheist. Yes, there is a God, but he is far removed. Yes, he cares, but he cannot really help me. Yes, he is my father, but I have to go through this alone. But please don't misunderstand me when I say this. I'm not saying that just a simple prayer will take away your anxiety. That's not what I'm saying. This is a fight. This is a battle of the soul, a holy struggle to believe in the promises and in the character of God instead of the circumstances and the life you are in. So this is not an easy thing, but it is something that we must do. But my question to you is just simple, simply this. Oh, anxious soul, have you prayed? Have you cast your anxieties on him? Have you struggled with God in prayer to believe his promises, his character, reminding yourself of who he is? Have you done that? Well, that's the first way David calmed and quieted his soul through constant prayer, which leads us to our second way. The second way we, we um, calm and quiet our souls is not just by praying, but by reminding. Not, by, not just by praying, but by reminding that we are not God. We are not God. That's the main point of verse 1. Notice the progression in verse 1 from heart to eyes to occupation or to deeds. The inner desires of the heart to the focus of the eyes to the actions of the deeds. Notice verse 1. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So when the Bible says that phrase, my heart is not lifted up, that's just another way to say, I am not proud. That's a biblical way of saying someone is proud. Their heart has been lifted up. And at the heart of pride is the idea or the thought that you can be God yourself. That's what the rest of the verse says. He says, my eyes are not raised too high, meaning I do not covet or desire a throne or a, a position which doesn't belong to me. I don't, don't look higher than God's throne. Right. And remember what Satan, this happened to Satan. Satan's heart was lifted up and then his eyes started wandering to God's throne. He wanted that position. He wanted that power. He wanted that honor. I want to be God. It was the very first temptation. Remember how Satan tempted Adam and Eve, especially Eve? He said, 
You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. From that day onwards, all of us have the basic problem of pride. We are born proud people, thinking too highly of ourselves, trusting our own desires as basically good, basically right, comparing ourselves with others in order that we might receive praise from people. You know that's a basic problem when you see a group photo. You always look for yourself first, right? You always look for where you are because we are so naturally inclined to us, to ourselves. When we, are the, when, we, when we are in the presence of someone who's better than us, we feel insecure and worthless because that person is so much better than us. We are comparing ourselves to that person, but that's just pride. Someone's calling me. Okay. Someone was just calling me. <laughs> okay. Um, but that's just pride. It is when pride doesn't get praised, right? So when you're not, when you don't get praised by other people, then you feel sorry for yourself. You feel worthless. You feel insignificant. That's self-pity. Self-pity is just when pride is not praised. Or if we are in the presence of someone worse than us, then we feel proud because now we feel better than them. We are comparing ourselves to someone below us and we are boasting and bragging and feel better about ourselves. But that is pride. We all have this problem. And the last line, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now we know what David means. This word marvelous is most often connected to what God does. Look at over at Psalm 96. Look at Psalm 96. Psalm 96, verse 3. Psalm 96, verse 3 says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Look at Psalm 98, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Okay, do you see what, what, what David is saying when he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me? He says, I'm not going to occupy myself with things that only God can do. God does marvelous things. God does great things. I am not God. I'm not going to try and be God. I cannot do these things because I'm just David. You see, so that's marvelous things are things that only God does. He is alone, is almighty. So David's point is simple. He is reminding himself that he is not God and that he cannot do what only God can do. He does not occupy himself with marvelous things. So here's the hidden reason to most of our anxiety. The hidden reason behind most of our anxiety. We are anxious because we are occupying ourselves with things that only God can do. Think about that. We are anxious because we are occupying ourselves with things that only God can do. We are trying to be God. And the first sign that you are proud is going back to the first, first point. You will be prayerless. <laughs> A proud person doesn't pray. Because why pray if I can do it myself? Why do I need God if I have all the resources and all, all the abilities and the talents and the gifts to solve my own problem? Why depend on God if I am the solution? Why do I need to depend on God for my children to save them if my parenting techniques is all I need to change my children and to let them behave? Why do I need to pray for them? Why do I need to discipline them according to scripture? I don't need those things because my techniques are better. My techniques are all I need. 
Why do I need to depend on God for my clothing and my food if I am the one who's working so hard with the energy that I get to, to earn my money? You see, pride is simply looking to yourself as the source of all your resources and your solutions. Pride is looking to yourself as the source of all your resources and your solutions instead of to God. Now, let, let me apply this a little bit deeper. What are some marvelous works which we cannot do that we sometimes occupy ourselves and so are anxious with? Let me list four things, just four things that only God can do that we should not be doing. We should leave alone. We should just have peace and calmness. The first thing is this. The first thing we should not be anxious about and that only God can do is our physical life and the day of our death. Our physical life and the day of our death. You and I cannot control the day we die. We cannot extend our life one second longer than God has determined. We cannot live forever in this world because we have sinned and we all must die. Job 1.21, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord has the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is sovereign over life and death, not us. Job says God gave, God took away. Blessed be his name. Deuteronomy 32 verse 39. God says to Moses, see now that I, even I am he. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal and there is none that can de deliver out of my hand. Beloved, you have no control over your life and the day of your death. Are you occupying yourself with those things? Being too occupied about your death, about your life, as if you have the power to do what only God can do? Now, again, I just want to clarify, this does not mean we should be careless and irresponsible. We should not fall into the other extreme of thinking, I do not have to work. I do not have to plan. I do not have to wear a mask. I do not have to sanitize. I do not have to care about these things because God has already decided where I will go and when I will die. No, that's testing God. <laughs> don't test God. God is sovereign. And the Bible also says we are responsible. We need to work hard to provide for our families. We need to make plans to protect ourselves and others during this time. The same Bible also says those who are not willing to work should not eat. So God provides and we work. So it's both. But you can work, you can plan, you can be responsible with a calm heart, with a quiet soul. Because you are not occupying yourself with things too great and too marvelous for me. You work with calmness. You plan with calmness. You, you, you do all these things because you know your life and your death is in the hands of God. Here's one example of being overly anxious about your life. I've heard of a story of a man who overdosed on medicine for COVID. So he was so anxious to, to have COVID that he just overdosed on COVID medicine. That's an example of trying to control your life and your death, being so fearful of death that you will do anything to not have it. But that's the first thing that we have no control over that we should let God do is over our life and our death. Here's the second thing that only God can do that we should not be anxious about. Our salvation, your salvation and other people's salvation. Jonah 2 verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Mark 10 verse 26, verse 27. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, 
Salvation is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And we normally use that verse out of context to refer to we can do anything or anything is possible. And it's true, anything is possible for God, but the context is salvation. The context is no one can be saved. It's impossible with man, but with God, it is possible to save us. Beloved, you cannot save even yourself. You cannot. How much less can you save other people? Our children, our friends, our family members, or anyone else. Only God can do that. Therefore, don't be occupied with things too great and too marvelous for you. We should not think like this. If only I try harder, if only I go to church, if only I give to the church, if only I'm not too bad of a person and try to do more or less what is right, then I will be safe from judgment. No, you cannot save yourself. Trying to earn your own righteousness before God is a waste of time. You cannot atone for your sins. You cannot pay for your sins. You cannot escape an eternity in hell. That's what we all deserve. Someone who is occupied with seeking to save themselves are always constantly trying to do good works, to please God, to earn His goodness, hoping it will just be good enough. Someone who is occupied with this will also be overly anxious about the salvation of their children. So parents will become overprotective, trying to protect their children from anything outside because they are so anxious to save their children as if it's their work. Someone who is occupied with this will be overbearing with the gospel. They will nag and nag and nag people with the gospel, overly just forcing people to believe what they believe because they believe it's their job to convince people. But here's a, here's a balance. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26. Here's the biblical balance. 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 to 26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Notice we have a role to play. We have to teach. We have to endure evil. We have to correct with gentleness, right? But we do so without quarreling, without a quarreling spirit, because the next verse, next line says, verse 25, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from, to, um, come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Who grants repentance? Who is the one who gives repentance? Who has the final say over whether someone will believe or not? It's not us. It's God. He may perhaps grant repentance or perhaps he won't. But our job is to be faithful. Our job is to pray, evangelize, and rest in the results that God will bring. So our salvation, we don't have control over that. So don't be occupied with that. Number three. The third thing we don't, have to have, we don't have final control over is our government and our rulers over us. Again, like the two others mentioned above, we have a role to play, right? We, we need to pray for our government. We need to be involved in the public square and be a voice for justice, for right, for religious freedom and for human rights. All those things are good and right. But we should not be overly concerned about our government because God is sovereign over our government. Romans 13 verse 1 says that every person... Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those who exist has been instituted by God. There are no authorities except from God. We vote and we should vote with a clean conscience. But God has the final vote. 
And his vote outweighs all of our votes, right? <laughs> Being occupied with these things will be evidenced by thinking that the solution to our country is, and our problems is just a new and a better government. If only we can have a better government, then we will be, our problems will be gone. Yes, that would be a great benefit if we have a better government, but that's not the solution. The government can never be our Messiah. It can, ne it can never be the salvation of our souls. Being occupied with these things will show itself by being more passionate about political matters than you are about the gospel. Some people are better evangelizers of political agendas than they are of God's agenda, God's kingdom, sharing the gospel. No, we must calm our hearts, quiet our souls, that our God is in control of all authorities. Our job is simply to submit under our government and obey God above everybody else. That's what we must do. Here's the last thing that God is sovereign over that we should not be occupied over. Too much, and that is over all our plans and choices. Over all our plans and our choices. Listen to James 4, verse 13 to 16. Come now, you who say to, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Wow, James says... It is evil to think that you have the final say over your future plans, over your decisions. No, you don't. Rather, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. We will live and do this or that. He has the final say. We say with Proverbs 16 verse 9, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We must plan and God makes the final choice. <laughs> we are responsible and God is sovereign. You see, don't, don't lose any of those two. They are both true. But here's the point. Do you fundamentally believe deep down that it all depends on you? That it all depends on you? That the success of your choices comes from you? That you are in control of your, your future or your destiny? That's pride in action. So, beloved, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Think of your anxieties. What are they? Are they things that are too great and too marvelous for you? Then you need to stop that. Stop, like David, humble yourself by reminding yourself that you are not God. Let God be God and let us be responsible. So we see that by praying, by reminding ourselves that we are not God, that's how we calm and we quiet ourselves, our souls. But here's a third way we can calm and quiet our souls, and that is by trusting. So by praying, by reminding, and by trusting. David gives a beautiful picture for us to reflect upon in verse 2. Look at verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. God has given me the privilege of having both kind of boys in my home. <laughs> I have a, a weaned child and an unweaned child. I have Jordan as my eldest. He's uh, almost three years old. He's weaned 
And Alakai, my youngest, is not weaned. He's, he's fast to the breast. <laughs> okay. And there's an obvious difference between the two of them. Alakai, my youngest, not being weaned, is frantic, discontent, and anxious all the time if he doesn't have that breast. So he's, so Alakai, an unweaned child, is really a picture of discontentment, of anxiety, of frantic, frantically searching to cling to something that you don't have, right? But Jordan, my weaned child, is, is the picture of contentment because he is content to simply be in the presence of Deborah, my wife. When he knows we are close, he can play on his own, he can be content around us because he knows he's resting and he's trusting in the goodness and in the presence of his mother. I saw Jordan the other day playing outside with his skopfitzi. I don't know, I was thinking about the English word, but a kick, a kick bicycle doesn't sound right. So his skopfitzi outside, laughing and running around, really just enjoying himself. And, I, and as I was looking at him, I, I just thought this, I, I thought, thought, Jordan, he's in the middle of a pandemic. He's in the middle of people dying everywhere. He's in the middle of economic instability and crisis. And he's completely content. He's completely happy. Why? Because Jordan has all he needs with Deborah and me there. <laughs> um, there's only one thing which Jordan is anxious about, and that is to disobey us. <laughs> that is something to be anxious about because when he disobeys us, he knows his discipline is going to come. But if he trusts us, if he obeys us, he has everything he needs. But in the mind of a in a, in the mind of a weaned child, mommy and daddy has infinite resources, right? Every time I ask for an ice cream, my parents can just buy it if they want it. Like money grows on their backs, money falls from the house. My mom and dad has everything, <laughs> and that's not true. But but that's how a weaned child thinks. Mommy and daddy has infinite resources to satisfy my needs. I know if I just ask or ask enough or ask repetitively, I know I will get it. Okay. Now, that is how we should trust God, like a weaned child with its mother. Now, the difference is, of course, that we should not live in denial of reality, because Jordan is in denial, he is ignorant. So we shouldn't deny reality that we are in a pandemic, but we should have the same trust as a child, because God, in fact, does have infinite resources. He, in fact, does have everything at his disposal to meet our needs. Believers should be content to simply be in the presence of God, their Father, because He loves us and He will take care of us. Remember, remember, believer, what it cost God to make you His child. Think of that. Jesus Christ became a man to live in your place, to die in your place, to pay for all your sins. He rose again on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, God did not even spare his own son for you. He already took care of your greatest need, your greatest problem, which is your sin against God. So why would he not also now take care of your temporal needs, your life here on earth? Why would he ever withhold anything good from you if he already gave you the greatest good? His own son, himself, eternity in heaven. Why would he abandon you now in your sufferings? Beloved, don't be anxious about anything if God is your father. Now, so there are basically then two reasons why you can be anxious. 
Either you are saved, you are God's child, but you just don't believe that God will take care of you, that God is in control, that God is your father. You, you don't believe his promises or his word. Or the other option is that you are not saved at all and you don't have God as your father. You don't know him as God. Now, some of you listening to me are in that category. Some of you do not know God. Some of you know a lot about God. You have a lot of information about him. But you don't know him. You don't know him as your father. And for some of you listening to me, that is because you are not his child. And that's why you are anxious. Because you have reason to be anxious. But you have a bigger reason to be anxious than just your life on earth. You have a massive reason to be anxious. It is not your physical life and it is not your earthly problems, but it is God's judgment coming to you. One day, Jesus will come again and he will raise everyone up from the grave, from the dead, and then he will judge everyone. Listen, nothing in this life, nothing in your life is more important than that day. Standing before King Jesus to give an account for your life. Your life on earth might, might be 80 years, 80 years. And then it's over. But the life to come is going to be billions and billions and billions of years into eternity. And it won't even have begun yet. Your life is short. Nothing vanity in comparison to the life to come. He will judge you according to your deeds. According to what you have done. Your thoughts. Your motives. Everything you did and everything you did not do will be judged. And what God is looking for is absolute perfection. That's the standard to go to heaven. Absolute perfection. His requirement for you is to keep the entire law perfectly without exception. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Paul says, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Galatians 3, verse 10. If you failed once, if you didn't obey God's law once, you are under a curse. God's law is hanging over your head. God's judgment is coming for you. If you die in that state, you will be cast away from God's presence forever and ever. Because that's what you deserve for breaking his law, his rule, his reign. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. That whoever of you watching right now, listening right now, believe in him, should never perish, but have eternal life. Christ is fully God and fully man. He came to fulfill the law of his father perfectly, without fail. And then he took the sins of the world on his shoulders and he paid for it. Paid for it in full. He rose from the dead. And he ascended and he's reigning over everything. Jesus is Lord. He is King. He is God. So bow your knee before King Jesus. If you do that, bow your knee before him. Humble yourself before him. Submit yourself to him. Come to him, you weary sinner. Receive full and free forgiveness of all your sins. Repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. Then you will be saved and reconciled to God. And only then will you have him as your father. Only then will he be this father for you. 
Look to him right now, right now where you are. Look to Christ. Turn to him. Throw yourself upon his mercy. Throw yourself upon him. Look away from yourself and trust fully in Christ to be your God, to be your king, to be your Lord, and to be your savior. Beloved, this is not just a way to be saved. This is also the, the ongoing posture of our souls. Trust in God through Christ by the Spirit. Trust in Him as your heavenly Father to be your everything. He will take care of you like a child with its mother. Here's the last way we calm and we quiet our souls. So we calm ourselves and quiet ourselves by praying, by reminding ourselves that we are not God, by trusting in God like a child is father, a mother. And lastly, by preaching, by preaching to ourselves. Notice verse 3, the last verse of verse, the psalm. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. David now is preaching to Israel. He says, Israel, do what I did. Hope in God. Hope in Him. Not just now, but forever. You can. So this is something you can do always. It's not something you can just do in the good times or in the very special times. No, it's now and forevermore. Start now if you haven't started yesterday and do that tomorrow again. doesn't matter what will happen to you in the future. God remains the same. God is unchanging. He is eternal. The difficulties change. Our lives change. But God is the same. So hope in Him. And I want to apply it like this. You and I need to learn to stop listening to ourselves and start preaching to ourselves. What I mean by this is this. To listen to yourself is to allow your circumstances, your fears, your doubts, your trials, your sufferings to, to, to preach to you. To tell you what to think. To tell you what to feel. For example, look at this country. We will all die. Look at what we need to face. There is no hope. Look at how great my sin is. There's nothing I can do to stop or to change. That's listening to yourself. No, instead of that, preach to yourself. Do this. Rian, I know you are anxious about your future and the future of your church, but Jesus reigns. God is your father. Rian, listen to me. <laughs> it's like taking yourself by the collar, right? Rian, listen to me. Trust in God. Hope in God. He is building his church. He is in control. Jesus will do that. Trust him and obey him. That's all you need to be anxious about, to obey your father. Ask yourself, are you listening to yourself or are you preaching to yourself the truth? So beloved, will you join me? Will you join me in this soul rest of David? Will you join me to memorize these three verses? And use them regularly when you are tempted to be anxious? Will you join me by praying, casting all your anxieties on him who cares for us? Will you join me in daily reminding ourselves that we are not God? And therefore we should not be anxious about over things that only God can do? Will you join me in trusting God like a child trusts his parents to provide everything they need? And will you join me in preaching to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves the ultimate truths, the ultimate reality of Christ reigning, Christ coming, Christ raising us from the dead, the eternal life to come, hoping in God instead of listening to ourselves about our temporal 
lives and temporal realities. I hope you will do that. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, we want to humble ourselves before you. We want to join David and we want to say the words of this psalm and, and ask you, Lord, to humble us. Help us, Lord, to remind ourselves that we are not you. We cannot be you. We are not in control of our lives, not in control of our future, how long we have to live. Father, but you are. I pray, Lord, that we will not occupy ourselves, that our hearts will not be lifted up, that our eyes will not be raised too high, that our hands will not be occupied with things that are too great and too marvelous for us, but that we would calm and quiet our own souls by, by trusting you like a child. Father, I pray that you will open our eyes, open us to understand this, the great reality, the great privilege of having God as our Father. Lord, for those who do not know you, draw them to, the, to yourself. I pray that they will know you through Christ, that they will cast themselves upon your mercy and trust in you fully. For us who do know you, Lord, I pray that you will help us not to live like functional atheists, like as if we are all alone and as if we are the ones on whom everything depends. But may we depend on you, may we pray, may we humble ourselves and live responsibly and in obedience to you. Father, also help us to, to not listen to ourselves, but to preach to ourselves, to, to tell us the truth about you, about your word, about promises you, you give us, so that we will abound in hope. Lord, I pray until we see again one another in church, please protect us from the devil, protect us from his lies and, and the evil one. And I pray that you will keep us in your love as we walk by faith and not by sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.